Numbers. We continue our study through uh, this wonderful Old Testament book. And I've thoroughly enjoyed just teaching through the Old Testament over the past six years now. We've been studying the Old Testament primarily on Sunday night and, and uh, Wednesday, although we, we did a break and did Revelation there for a while. Um, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, chapter uh, that we come to uh, next week. We really break um, the, the, the book of Numbers breaks next week in a big way because next week it's about the spies who are sent into Canaan. So these last couple of chapters from chapter 10, uh, chapter 11, chapter 12, the children of Israel have been organized. And by saying children of Israel, you know what I mean by that, right? Israel had 12 sons. Their sons had offspring. Now there's two and a half, maybe three million of these Hebrews that have been uh, exiled from Egypt. They've been delivered from Egypt by God, and God has formed a new nation. He's promised to get them to the, this new land, Canaan, flowing with milk and honey, and they've just started their journey. That's what chapter 10 was about. They were organized into an army. They were organized into tribes. They were given the, the instruction to build the tabernacle. God has come and, and is leading them. He's in their midst. He's in the tabernacle, which is is a movable tent, movable sanctuary, by the way. And they're going to pick it up and move it as God commands. The pillar of fire, the cloud by day and the fire by night, God is leading them. He's in their presence. But chapter 11, murmuring, remember? This is a couple of weeks ago. Murmuring and complaining. And this is God teaching us, I believe even tonight, about this area this disease that we all commonly have in the human condition, the murmuring, complaining, whining about things, and these people who have God in their presence, he's right there in their midst, they begin to murmur, they begin to complain, there's no meat, there's no meat. Some people don't eat meat, but for most of us, we want meat, and these people wanted meat, so they started to complain, and so God gave them meat, Remember? He gave them so much meat as judgment that it came out of their teeth and out of their nose, and they were sick of it because that was a judgment of God. Why? Because they were complaining. They were whining. They were fussing and murmuring about food. Now, I called them promised land people, as you recall. These are promised land people. God has promised them, and it's up to them now to lean on, to put their weight in, to have faith in God that he'll lead them to the promised land, just like you and I are promised land people. God has promised us heaven, right? A lot of junk going on down around us in this world, a lot of things you can't deal with on your own, and it's hard, and we slog through, and we have difficult battles to face and mountains to climb, but God has promised every one of his children, Every believer in Christ has a promise, and that promise is to get us where? To heaven, to the promised land. So we're promised land people too. So what happens in between the promise when we receive by faith a promise in Christ and we get to heaven? We're not supposed to complain. <laughs> That's really what's being taught in here. We're supposed to be people that really rely on the promises of God and stop complaining. Now, there are a lot of things to complain about. I've got things that I complain about today. I don't think my murmuring is quite as drastic as these people, but it still doesn't excuse me from that. We all need to learn to be gracious and loving and, and people that are promised land people that trust in the Lord and not complain. 
And in chapter 11, it was just three days into their march when they started complaining about not having food, and God gave them food. And then the Lord leads them and continues to lead them, but they continue to complain. Tonight in chapter 12, we get another very, um, it's, a, it's a kind of complaint that comes from the leadership. It's not just the common people that wanted food. This comes from the upper deck. This comes from the, the top of the leadership chain. In fact, it's actually the high priest, the brother of Moses, and then the, the high prophetess, you could almost call her that. I'll explain that as we get there, Miriam. It's Miriam, it's the brother and sister of Moses who started whining about his leadership. In our, so again, we're learning about <laughs> how to be content with, and, and from this example, God gives us here. This is very interesting. So here we go. Let's, let's ask God's blessing and we'll, we'll jump into my study called Complaining in the House. Complaining in the House is my title. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word tonight and as we study Lord, as we read, I pray that you teach us, but as we study together, as I share these thoughts that I believe you've given to me tonight, I, I pray, Lord, that your people would, would hear, compare it with your word, receive the things that are true, and Lord, that we might be a people that are growing. God, forgive us for being murmuring and complaining and whining people. Help us, Lord, to, to be faithful people, content people, and godly people. Teach us from this example in Numbers chapter 12, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Let's read about this. Complaining in the house is my title. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against their little brother Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who had, he had married. So the, the fight breaks out. It comes from Miriam. She's in some kind of disagreement with her this new sister-in-law that that she has, which really isn't the topic at all, but, but think about this. That's what starts this whole thing. He had married an Ethiopian woman or a Canaanite. So they said, this is Miriam and Aaron, they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us? They're jealous. Their jealousy just oozes here. They, they want some authority here. God's given them authority, but they want more. God speaks to us too, not just to Moses. That's their complaint. And the Lord heard it. Whoa, the end of verse 2. Verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble. And notice in your Bible how that's written. It should be in parenthesis. Do you notice that in verse 3? Now the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Why do you think that is? Who's the writer? Moses. So either Moses writes that about himself, I'm not really sure about, or what I think happens is Joshua adds that in later. I think Joshua just added that in later. But irregardless who put it in there, it's the Holy Spirit, right? It's the, we have the inspired word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, it's time to go to the woodshed, you three. No, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. God calls a special meeting, so the three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. So the three of them come. They approach the tabernacle, and then God says, You two, troublemakers, 
come here. Have you ever gotten that from your mom? Remember when you were little and your mom said, come here, come here. No, am I the only one? I used to get that all the time. My mom used to, Lee, come here. And that's what's going on. God's going to rebuke them, obviously. It says, suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Mary, come out here, you three, to the meeting. And so the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of clouds, stood with them, and he called Aaron and Miriam, and they went forward. Then he said, verse 6, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? What what gives you the right to even challenge my servant Moses? I speak to him face to face. Who do you think you are? It's really clear that this passage is another example of rebellion and grumbling. This is what answers the question that you might have. Why did it take them 40 years to get there when it was only a two-week journey by foot? Why did it take these people 40 years to get there? This is the reason why. Chapter 11, chapter 12 tells it because they were whining and they were complaining and they were not walking by faith. That's the reason. And again, this passage is about grumbling and rebellion. But this time it comes from, like I said earlier, the highest ranks of the leadership there from the high priest. Remember Aaron, his high priest. When we studied Exodus, we studied all about his garb, his responsibility. When we looked at the book of Leviticus, we saw his many responsibilities, which was to pray for people, his responsibility to make intercession for people through sacrificing the the blood on the altar. He, He had a really big responsibility in leadership, and now he's complaining. He's grumbling. And then the prophetess, Miriam here, she's the one that sang the song. She's a poet. She's a worship leader. She's a songwriter. She's kind of leading the nation of Israel in this role. Because remember when they stood at the shore of the Red Sea and the the two million Hebrews, they looked back and here comes the Egyptian army. And they they didn't come to usher them back. They came to kill them. And so the children of Israel are like, uh, what are we going to do, Moses? What's going on? Here they come. And the Red Sea is parted miraculously when Moses prayed. They go through the Red Sea on dry ground. And as they look back, the army was in the middle of the Red Sea chasing them down. But God miraculously allowed the ocean to collapse upon that whole powerful army and decimating it, obliterating it. And Miriam is the one that wrote a song. The horse and rider he is thrown into the sea. Remember that story? She was the prophetess. She had a high role in standing. She ranked high in the leadership among women, obviously, there with the children of Israel. So faithful Moses now is going to hear criticism from his own brother and sister, And they seek to undermine his authority. They're they're jealous of his standing before the Lord. They want more. They want more. It's something in us that always wants more. And when we push to gain more, sometimes we have to hurt someone in the way. In the church, it shouldn't be. It really hasn't happened here. I, 
I've been here since 1979. I've never seen a power struggle, and I've, I've just been able to serve with uh, wonderful surrendered servants. Every once in a while, we shoot our mouth off, you know, but, but for the most part, we're just in God's house, and I'm grateful. This church has never had that kind of a split, ever. This church has never had a, a, a sexual scandal. This church has never had an uh, uh, embezzlement, never. And I thank the Lord for that. It's, it's a blessing, and you should continue to pray and thank the Lord for that and pray for those that are in, in leadership. But, but these two, it's, it's complaining in the house was the name of my study. They're complaining. They're, they're complaining about all those things. And it's his own brother and his sister, which, again, uh, it speaks to something else. Within a family, maybe a husband and wife relationship, if you step outside your role, husband, and you're not leading godly, you might be leading and making money, but then you're not leading spiritually and your house is upside down. Or maybe as a woman, you're usurping the authority of your husband by making every decision and belittling him like they do on TV, on all those TV shows. That's, that's all they do on TV. If you do that, your house is going to be upside down. You're going to undermine the authority God has put in place. That's what's happening here with with within the family, Moses and his brother Aaron and older brother Aaron, I should say, and, and much older sister Miriam, they were complaining. It reminds me of David. I love David because he's a worship leader. I love David because he was a great psalmist of Israel, the great leader, the king. And when he brought the ark back into Jerusalem after it had been stolen and after it had been um, caused trouble all over Palestine, he brings the ark back into Jerusalem to the temple and he's so excited. He's so excited. He starts to dance and he's dancing so hard and he's just so excited and dancing. He takes his outer robe off. Remember the story? And it was his wife, his beloved Michael, who said, hasn't the king behaved himself unseemly before the people of Israel. You took your clothes off and danced before. He didn't really, he wasn't naked. He just took his outer cloak off, undermining his authority. And she was reprimanded, obviously, by the, the Lord. But even Jesus' family complained. I don't know if you remember, but it was last year in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus' family comes from Nazareth to Capernaum, and they, they come there and they say he's lost his mind. He's psychologically imbalanced. We need to get him and take him home. Why? Because he was claiming to be God. Everything he did, healing, casting out demons, everything he did pointed to the fact he was the son of God. But they, they thought he had this Messiah complex taking it way too far. They, that was their brother. That was their son. And so they wanted to bring him home. There's always been family division and family fights, even in the Bible. That's what I love about the Bible. It's a real book. There's no candy coating the scripture. You find all kinds of scandal because people are filled with it, right? So this episode here starts with grumbling, the grumbling from Aaron and Miriam toward Moses, primarily about Moses' wife. I call it the rebellion of Miriam and Aaron, obviously. Look at verse 1 again. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. So the scripture makes it clear that the lead in the complaint is Miriam. She's got a problem with this woman that's her sister-in-law. 
Now, Moses originally married a woman named Zipporah, if you'll remember. There's no record of what happened to Zipporah, but Zipporah isn't an Ethiopian woman. There's no real record of Moses' home life or his marriage life. There's not in the scriptures, so we really can't speculate. I'm thinking Zipporah died. Moses married this, this woman from a Midianite or an a, a Ethiopian woman. Um, there's some speculation about her ethnicity, but I don't see that as even part of the whole uh, uh, plan here. I just see that Miriam's upset. She's upset by this new woman in the family, and the new woman in the family has some kind of authority, and she's offended by it. So she goes to her brother and said, what's up with the new wife? And she has this this uh, power over you, and we're more powerful. We're more important than anyone here. And who, who do you think you are, your little pipsqueak brother? I mean, really, you can almost hear Miriam say those kind of things. She was really offended, and so this whole thing begins over the, the uh, uh, marriage between Moses and this Ethiopian woman. Again, it's just an obvious attack of jealousy here. So... She comes and she challenges the authority of her brother, um, Aaron and Miriam, both reminding their little brother of how important they are. So they said, verse 2, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Don't we have uh, an important role to play here? There's jealousy involved in that comment there. Again, Moses at this time is about 80 years old. Think about it. He was 40 years old as a son of Pharaoh, and then he went into the desert. He was exiled. Remember, he murdered and had to run to the desert. How long was he in the desert? 40 years, right? So he's 80. Then he comes, the people come out, you know, from the land. They're at Mount Sinai, 81 years old, 82. I mean, right in there. He's not much older than that. But Miriam, Miriam is the little girl that followed Moses, when he was first born, and his mom put Moses in the little ark, remember, and floated it down the Nile. And it was Miriam who was running behind the bulrushes and following you to make sure it didn't tip over, I guess. She was following, following, following. And then she came back and told her mother about what had happened. So Mary, Miriam's got to be 10 years older. She's in her 90s at this point. Aaron is a few years older than, than Moses. So, so, the reason I say that is because this isn't a complaint or a youthful argument. It's not just a bunch of little teenagers arguing. These are full-grown adults with these areas of important ministry that they were all involved in. So the question now becomes, since Mary's, Miriam's the one that's, that's indicting her brother here, what's her role? What, what makes her so... Uh, Uh, famous, or why does she have this role of power within the nation? It's in Exodus 15, and I think I have this scripture behind me on the screen, Exodus 15, 20, where she's um, written that she's actually a prophetess. Then Marian the prophetess, sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her timbrel and dances. So she's leading worship there. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. 
So she's not just another Hebrew woman. She's Moses' sister, but she's also a leader. She's, she's a poet. She's a songwriter. She's a musician with her timbrel. She's, a, she's dancing before the people and leading in that way. Someone said that Moses was the responsible for the law. Aaron was responsible for religion and all its services as the high priest, and Miriam was kind of the artsy person, the worship person of the family. So she's not just another Hebrew. She isn't just Moses' sister. She had a a role to play. In Micah 6, verse 4, notice this verse behind me, for I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you, notice the names here, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So she had a, a place of leadership. That's the point I'm making. She wasn't just some woman that, that because she was Moses' sister, she just moved into a title. She actually had a place of leadership according to the scriptures. And even though Miriam and Aaron had a, a place in standing in leadership, that didn't entitle them to put down or to challenge the authority of Moses, God's chosen mediator, God's chosen leader. And that's what they were doing here. They were, they were actually um, uh, assaulting or challenging Moses' leadership here. Their act of rebellion is not against Moses' wife, the no-name Ethiopian. Their act of rebellion is directly against Moses and therefore directly against God as well, because God has chosen his servant uh, there and given him that place of authority. So at the end of verse 2, here, here's the word. Notice what it says. And the Lord heard it. Of course he heard it. He hears everything. He hears all these complaints. He's been hearing complaints from these people almost from the day, but they're growing. They are learning and growing. They've got to learn and grow before they become the promised land people that God has has designed them to be. He's teaching them, and that's what they're going to learn from their mistakes over this period of time. But God knows the heart, and he knows the motive of Miriam and Aaron, and they're guilty. Their sin is pride, and the reason we know that is because I believe, again, it's Joshua who inserted this verse 3. He inserted this, obviously, by the Holy Spirit. Their sin was pride. They wanted more power But then look at the contrast in verse 3 about Moses. But Moses was what? Humble. More than all men who were on the face of the earth. Moses was a very humble leader. He didn't assert himself. He didn't use, you know, power in any way. Like we would would see a, a person using power with their voice or their clothes or power, diet, whatever. There's all kinds of power cars you can drive, things that give you power. Moses was a very humble man, probably drove a Volkswagen. Very humble in all that he did. He was meek, the Bible says. And meekness is a wonderful attribute for the child of God, by the way, isn't it? It's a, it's a gift of the, or a fruit, pardon me, of the Holy Spirit. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength, but under control. And these people had power in that leadership capacity, but no control. They're out of control right now, challenging the authority of Moses. But he was humble. So 
Aaron and Miriam here are, are self-seeking and proud. And Moses, in contrast, is humble or meek. It's me'od, it's the, the Hebrew ava, meaning meek and lowly and humble, very, very humble. And again, we don't know whether God ordered Moses to write that about himself or Joshua added it later, but the point here, and you'll notice as we go through this text, we don't even hear from Moses. He hasn't said a word. He's not saying anything. Remember, he's standing, I don't know how many feet away from, as God had called the two closer to speak. He's going to be standing in the background. He hasn't said anything. He's very humble, very meek. He doesn't defend himself at all against this attack because he's a humble man. And as we learn, he doesn't have to because he's trusting in the Lord, which is something else for us to learn, and I'll bring that up in a moment. But notice how God defends Moses here in verse 4. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out here, you three, and stand by the tabernacle of meeting. In other words, come over here where I am. One of the authors I read said he was calling them to the woodshed. <laughs> I like that. He called them. The three came out, and then the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud and stood at the door. They must have been afraid. Whenever God's presence was, was on that mountain, the people were shaking. So I can just see Miriam and, and Aaron. They're like, oh, no, what did we do? They're alone standing before the Lord of the te- uh, the door of the tabernacle and the Lord, they, they went forward. Again, this rebellion is so important that God is going to nip it in the bud. Suddenly, it says he came. God is not going to allow this to go on for very long. He took care of the people's whining by giving them meat immediately. Now he's taking care of this issue of leadership right away, suddenly. And he calls them audibly. Again, can you imagine hearing the voice of the Lord? Say, meet me at this location. Come right now and stand before me. Can you imagine how you'd feel uh, if that happened to you? And then in verse 5, again, God arrives at the tent. There's only the two there. Uh, they must have been terrified. Again, the, the important thing is that Moses didn't defend himself. He's waiting for the Lord. Here's the application there. It's one of the hardest things to do. When somebody attacks, the hardest thing to do is to, am I right? Because what we want to do is we want to defend ourselves immediately, and it's always verbal. It's always verbal. That's what causes all kinds of tension in a home, in a marriage. It's what causes all kinds of tension in a, in a, in a working environment, working relationship. You want to defend yourself, and if you do that, then the other person says more, and you say more, and it escalates into something that becomes out of control. It's always better to wait for the Lord as a, as a Christian. We need to believe that we're promised land people. God's going to get us there. We need to wait on him. Let God be our defense. If we defend ourselves, then we really hinder God's defense of us or for us. It's important to let God do his work in his time, but we normally make things worse by speaking right away. And James 1, this is a verse that many of us know, but James 1, verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
No amount of argumentation, speaking loud, harsh criticism, no amount of that is going to advance the kingdom of God. Again, I'm speaking to me as well as anyone else. We all need to hear these words. We need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. We need to remember that speaking without listening will always cause problems. The writer of Proverbs says this, Proverbs 10, verse 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. There's a really great verse for you tomorrow when you go back to work. If you're mad at your boss today, there's the verse for you tonight. <laughs> if you're mad at your wife, your husband, your kids, whatever it is, you need to restrain your lips. You need to be careful. Like the old saying, you're better off to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open up your mouth and remove any doubt. In Moses' case, He's humble, he's very wise, and he's not defending himself at all. He's not, he hasn't said a word. It's really important. He's letting God handle his problem. Look at verse 6. Then he said, hear now my words. This is God speaking to the two. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. So, I mean, that's a challenge to them. They, she thinks she's a prophetess and He's the high priest. If anybody should hear from the Lord, it should be him. But God says, if. I love that. I'll speak, I'll speak to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. I speak to him face to face. Wow, what a rebuke to these two. I mean, he just slapped him with both hands. And I'm sure they got the memo here when he speaks to them. So not in the dark sayings as he has seen the form of the Lord. Now, God doesn't have a body. We all know that. It's the form, and that's what God has revealed to Moses on the mountain. Remember, God, I just want to see you, Moses said. And God says, well, can't do that because you'll die, remember? But what I'll do is I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by, and I'll let you see my hinder parts which isn't really the back part of God. He doesn't have a body, but, but he's, God is revealing just enough for Moses just to answer his question. It's really a beautiful depiction because God loves Moses and he is revealing himself to Moses, but only enough to keep you alive. <laughs> but God has shown himself to him. That's what he's saying here in verse eight. Why then were you not afraid? God asks uh, Aaron and Miriam, why weren't you afraid to speak against my servant? What a, what a challenging question. You, you really were rebelling against me. I chose Moses. I lifted Moses up. I raised Moses to this place of authority. And you've challenged him. How, how come you're doing that? That's, that's what he's asking there. He's my servant, Moses. He's faithful, verse 7, in all my house. Moses' life is, is one of those that we can look up to. For 40 years... He was in the wilderness, right? God was preparing him, and he was faithful to God. And then he is faithful to God to go up on that mountain when no one else would go up there. He was faithful to God to bring back God's message, even though it was um, hard to bring it when the people were dancing naked in front of a golden calf. He spoke God's word. He was faithful in all that he did. And it's really important, faithfulness. Faithfulness is something that every believer should really strive for, to be faithful 
in what God has given you to do. You could be responsible for something at church. You could be responsible for something at home or at work, but it's important for you to be faithful in what God has given you. When a believer walks consistently with God, he or she is known to be faithful. God sees that individual as as faithful or reliable or trustworthy. Think about Onesimus in the New Testament. He was faithful. Paul stood up for him. And it's so important to see that throughout the Bible, we have these illustrations of people that are faithful. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 7 is a really interesting. We see Nehemiah as a great wall builder, right, of Israel. The walls were torn down. He goes back to rebuild the walls. But he's called back to the king. Remember, the king gave him permission to go and build the wall. And he said, I'll come back to you. The king gave him all the supplies to build the wall. And he says, I'll come back. So the wall's finished. It's completed in Nehemiah chapter 7. So what does he do? He looks around and he finds two faithful men. It's in Nehemiah 7 verse 2, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. So God, or, or Nehemiah in this case, gave these faithful two, the brother, it's one name here, but there were actually two, and he gave the leadership to them because they were faithful. Again, they were reliable, truthful, stable. I love the fact that God uses that word faithful for all of his servants when they enter their rest. I stand here, I've done it here, I'm going to do a, a, a memorial service tomorrow, funeral service tomorrow. And when I know that there's a believer, it doesn't matter what sins they've committed because they believed in Jesus Christ and were forgiven. And they finally attained the promise that God has given them. They've finally gone to heaven. They've left They're absent from the body, they're present with the Lord, and if they've committed their heart to Christ in their lifetime, they believed on Jesus Christ, they they have that hope of heaven. And when you get to heaven, the word that you and I want to hear is what Jesus says here in Matthew 25, and he uses it in a parable. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that what you want to hear? Moses is a great example of that. And you and I, we want to be faithful. Moses was faithful to God. And so now God steps in and defends him against this challenge to his leadership. And God asks Miriam and Aram there in in verse 8, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant? Moses there. I mean, they should have been afraid. They should have kept their lips quiet. They should never have complained, but their jealousy and pride just overruled them, and they challenged Moses' authority. So the anger of the Lord, verse 9, was aroused against them. And whenever I read that, think about that. There's a cloud. There's a form. He's called them audibly, come up here. How come you challenge the authority of my servant? I mean, it sounds pretty, kind of sounds like the Wizard of Oz, the guy behind the curtain, you know. <laughs> I, think the, 
I think there's many writers in Hollywood that read the Bible and they make something like that. Don't you think that? I do. Again, these guys have nothing to say. God is angry and he rebukes them. Now, this is the result. There's two results that happen. Miriam, number one, is made a leper. Notice verse 10. And the, when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So before Miriam even knows what happened, Aaron looks, looks, looks over at her, and she, her, her skin isn't starting to decompose. It's decomposed. It's, it's in the process. Leprosy is something that happens over a long period of time. Slow. It's a slow, slow death over many years. Your body just literally begins to rot. Your flesh. You lose sight. You lose feeling in all of your digits. And you slowly but sh- surely, you, your, your body gets just, if you've ever seen leprosy, it contorts the flesh, it eats away the flesh. It's very horrible, horrible. So I believe at this point in time, God has instantly made her a, an advanced leper, not, not just beginning in leprosy. Boom, she had it. Aaron looks at her and, whoa, he sees the judgment of God there on Miriam. She had turned white as snow, is what he said. This, her skin color had changed. And uh, very interesting you know, her body is decaying. She probably smells like this rotting flesh at that p- point in time, instantaneously. God's judgment caused her body to reflect the corruption that was in her heart. It just came out and was now all over her. That was her judgment. And then notice Aaron. Aaron was judged too. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not slay or lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So she was in a, a real state, advanced state of leprosy. But notice this. This is really important. Verse 11. Aaron said to who? He's the high priest. Who does he normally pray to? God. He's not praying to God. He's praying to who? Moses. Why? Because God's rejected him. His sin has separated him from his relationship with God. That's what sin does. There are those that believe that you lose your salvation. As a New Testament believer, I do not believe that's the case. You didn't do anything to save yourself. God saved you. You can't do anything to keep yourself. God keeps you. But you can inhibit the flow and the work of God and the growth and maturity that God wants to do in your life by being a jerk, by being a, 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 a carnal Christian. You can, you can be a baby Huey Christian the rest of your life, or you can grow. It's really up to you. But you don't lose your salvation. In this case... His prayers are hindered. Aaron prays to Moses, Oh, my Lord, my master, he calls him. Instead of calling out to God and confessing a sin, he's confessing a sin there to his brother. His prayers are hindered because of his sin, so he calls on brother, his Lord, his master. 
can't go to God for help. What is, that's, that's the judgment against him at that moment. And he realizes it. He's blown it. He's a sinner here. And this is the point that God is making with these two. And this is the important point of this whole text so far. Listen carefully. God has chosen one man to be a mediator between him and the people. And that man in this story is, is uh, Moses. Moses is a type of Christ. I've said it over and over and over through our study. He's a type of Christ. There's one meteor between you and a holy and righteous God, and that man is Jesus Christ. So Moses here is the mediator between, and God is making a point here to know. It's not Miriam. It's not the high priest. Moses. Moses is the mediator of these people as they journey toward the promised land. And notice, we haven't heard anything from Moses yet. He hasn't complained. He hasn't, he hasn't said anything on his behalf. But here he is in this beautiful prayer. I call it Moses' intercessory prayer here. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please hear, heal her, O God, I ask or I pray. Again, these are the first words that we hear Moses in this chapter. First time he utters anything is, Lord, forgive my sister. Lord, heal my sister. That's, that's what he's saying there. He heard the complaints. He was standing in the same vicinity. He heard God's rebuke of, of them. He didn't say a word. So he becomes a really great example of a godly man here. And again, he's the type of Christ. Just as Jesus was falsely accused by all the people around him, and he said nothing, Moses, he's, he's accused, he's harassed, he says nothing. And it's in Isaiah 53, which is, is beautiful. I could use a New Testament verse, but notice this verse behind me in Isaiah 53, talking about the suffering Messiah. Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and must sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. So there's the comparison, the type. Moses is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And he prays for his sister's healing. And then we see Miriam's healing there in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, I'll explain that in a moment, would she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And then the people, after the seven days, verse 16, the people moved from Hezroth and camped to the wilderness of Paran. They're, they're going to be at Kadesh Barnea. They're going to be right at the border in chapter 13. That's where they're headed. So God healed her. But he allowed her to be kicked out of the camp. Her shame was, was at a, as a leader, a leader would never go out of camp. They, they always had their throne, their place of authority, their walk around the camp, you know, and there's the leader. She was cast out of the camp as a leper. I believe she was healed instantly because God does that, but she was left outside the camp for seven days to shame her, to teach her, to allow her to, to understand the depth of her sin. And remember, she's challenging the authority that God had given his servant, Moses. And so God allows her to bear 
shame for seven days. The beautiful thing about this is, and even in this text, is that there's always forgiveness of sin. She was forgiven. She just had to go through it there for a while, the consequence of sin. And here's the truth about your sin, Christian. If you decide to sin, any of us can do it at any time. It's, it's within our capacity as humans, right? Paul said, in my flesh, all sin dwells. We can choose to sin or we can choose to live a holy life and walk righteously before the Lord. But if you choose to sin, there's a consequence for sin. But God forgives. In this case, seven days, she had to stay outside the camp, but she'll be forgiven. Someone said, when you sin, it's like pounding a nail into a piece of wood. And when you confess your sin, God pulls the nail out. But there's a scar. There's still a scar. Sin will always leave a scar. And we need to understand that. Paul said to the Galatians, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It's a choice. Sin is a choice for the believer. We can choose to sin and reap corruption. We can choose to, to uh, yield spiritual fruit, holy fruit, righteous fruit, and reap everlasting life. So Miriam, she's sent out of the camp for seven days. Not, no, not sure when she was healed. I believe she was healed instantly, but still had to go out of the camp. And then everyone had to wait for seven days. How come we're waiting? We've been here for two days. How come we're waiting? Miriam. We're waiting for Miriam. She sinned. I mean, think about that. Everybody had to wait for Miriam. This journey would have just taken a couple of weeks, but now it's extended even longer. Why? Murmuring, complaining, a leadership coup between the brother and sister of of Moses. And then that comment real quick, verse 14, if her father had but spit in her face. It comes from a, a law in Deuteronomy. It's really interesting. We're actually going to look at a portion of that this Sunday morning. When the Sadducees in the Gospel of Mark, they come to Jesus and said, Hey, we got a question for you, old wise one. Remember, they're trying to trap Jesus. It's in Mark chapter 12. If a, a married man dies... And then his brother marries the woman and he dies. And his brother marries the woman and he dies. His brother marries the woman. Remember, it happens seven times. What happens? Well, these guys don't believe in the resurrection. And I'm going to go into depth in that on Sunday morning. But here's the law in Deuteronomy. And it was the law of, of you, you step up for your family. If you're not married, you have to marry your brother's wife if, if your brother dies. That's, you do that. If you don't do it, it's like spitting in the face. And you'll see that in Deuteronomy 25.9. You can write that down and look into that a little bit if you'd like to. But in the case of Miriam, she was held outside the camp for seven days. So she could feel the weight of her sin, I believe, those seven days, plus the cleansing law of the camp as well that comes into play. But this spitting in the face, 
is a public shaming. And certainly she shamed her brother, part of the family. And next week we get into chapter 13. And uh, this is when they go and send the spies in one of the most exciting uh, chapters in the book of Numbers. It's a turning point really for the, the study. And I hope you come back and join us then. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word tonight. And I just ask God that as uh, we hear your word, that, that we would heed its teaching and training. Lord, that we would be humble like your servant Moses. Lord, that we would be humble and instead of being fault-finding and murmuring and whining at one another as husband and wife or as child and parent or as worker and co-worker, Lord, as, as your sons and daughters here tonight, we just ask God that you'd bring a, a new sense of, of uh, humility into our lives. Help us to be humble. Help us not to complain, oh Lord. And Lord, help us to understand that there's always a consequence for our sin. We love you. Lord, we thank you for our study and our, our fellowship time tonight. Thank you for these dear people. Bless them and encourage them. Cause them, Lord, to receive your word and, and as a result, tomorrow, to, to be humble, to be kind, to be wise and not speak for themselves, but to let you speak for them. Lord, bless them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.